0: Romans 12, verses 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your precious word. Thank you that it reveals your heart's desire for your people. Lord, it reveals something we cannot do in our own strength. We need your spirit to empower us. Lord, I can't preach in my own strength. I need you to fill me afresh with your spirit. And I ask that you would please use this time that you would feed your sheep, good shepherd, and help me to be as that sail in the wind, Lord, moved by your Spirit even as I preach. So, Lord, uh, cause fruit to come forth from this time in the hearts of all your people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been going through the book of Romans for quite some time now, and if you were here last week, we were talking about how uh, Paul laid out some of the gifts of the Spirit uh, that God had given us for the purpose of blessing his body, that we are part of one body, and it takes humility to accept that truth, because it means that we have to say, you know what, I need my brothers and sisters, and that takes humility. And then to use the gifts that God has given you, understanding that they're not for you as much as for God's body, so that he would glorify his name by using the gifts he's given you as an extension of his grace to the body of Christ. And so He, he we talked a little bit about those gifts of the Spirit, and Paul does something that he does consistent in his epistles. If you want to go back and do a little research when you when you leave here today... Uh, When you check out where Paul lists the gifts of the Spirit, something almost always follows. I think it always does. He immediately goes into the motivation behind those gifts, love. Go read it. Check it out. Corinthians. It's just interesting to see how God, God did that every time through Paul. And what we find here now is he's talking about love. He's talking about love as the foundation for what God is doing and we find in Romans 12, 9 through 13 that he's really talking about how love is manifest to the body of Christ, to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then we'll see next week that when we look at verses 14 through 21 he's really talking about what does this love look like that God's talking about as it is expressed to those outside of the family of God, those who are lost. And so we've got this pattern that Paul is going into and we see that We're going to find out this, that genuine brotherly love is a response to and a reflection of God's love. That's what it is. Take a look at God's word. Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine. That first love is agape love. Abhor what is evil, hold fast. To what is good? That word hold fast. Some of your uh, different Bibles might say cling, but the word means to glue. To glue. And then in Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we see a parallel here. Again, talking about the body here, not necessarily the gifts, but the body working together, and we would grow up in what? In love, in love for one another, that brotherly love that he's talking about here. Now, this brotherly love is a reflection of God's love, which means what, what kind of love does God have? You know? God has a holy, righteous love. That's the kind of love that God has for people. It's a righteous and holy love. And that's why brotherly love that they're talking about in this situation, it it distinguishes between good and evil. So there's a sense here that you just don't open the floodgates, but there's a discernment that comes with loving that we would Love, discern. What is good? What is evil here? Because why? God's love is a holy, righteous love. And we are to love others as God has loved us. And there's this righteous, holy love that God has. And so what we need to do is we need to distinguish between good and evil and act accordingly. That's what God does, doesn't he? He acts accordingly. So Christ-like love looks like this. We're going to hate evil. You say, how can you say that? You're you're defining love because that's what love is. We're going to hate evil, and we're going to love that which is good. We're going to cling to that which is good. That's why I use this verse in Ephesians that um, that we would speak and act in truth. That's love, to speak and act in truth. You see, the world has this mushy feeling of what love is. We don't know how to define it. Beatles, all you need is love, right? What does that mean? That means we just throw our arms around everybody and yay, let's get together and who cares what your life is all about. What is this godly love? Well, How is it defined? What is it a picture of? What did Christ do to display God's love? You see, it's to act and speak in truth. That's why if you rebuke someone or discipline them, if I were to ask you, is that love? You say, well, that's not love. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. If you're correcting wrong, then that's love. Parents say this all the time. If you're a kid here, you're not going to agree with this. But, you know, hey, I'm just doing this for your own good. I love you. And then they discipline you. And you say, this is not love if you're a kid. If you're an adult, hopefully we have a little more maturity and we realize, yes, it is love. It is love. It is love that God is displaying. And so when somebody rebukes us because we're walking in sin or there's discipline that God brings into our lives and we go, well, you know, boy, I wish God loved me more because look at this, saying, no, he is loving you. That's a picture of God's love. Why? Because God's love is righteous and it's holy and it discerns between good and evil. And so what he's gonna do is he's gonna do those things which display his love. He's going to move in those areas. Now, when we think of this, We know of a lot of people that may be living in sin, living in the wrong way. And we may choose to love them in spite of that. But what we don't do is we don't call their sin righteousness. It's not sin, it's good. We have to call sin, sin. We can still love the sinner, is what scripture says. But we don't love their sin. We don't say, well, that's okay. You can live like that. You can do that because God just loves everyone. But God has got a holy and righteous love. And so we can't do that. We can't just look the other way in an area of sin and say, "Now God's good with it. It doesn't matter to God. It does matter to God. And he says, love the way I loved you, Dan. So you've got to be uh, courageous enough to love someone by pointing out sin in their lives still loving the sinner, we can detest that evil act. We can do that. And yet at the same time, we can have compassion towards the one who's doing it. See, that's where I think the world gets, it gets uh, confused about Christianity because if we call something sin, because the Bible calls it sin, an alternative lifestyle or living with someone before you're married, that's, the Bible calls that sin. And so, what the world says is you don't love people because you don't accept them where they're at. And I say, no, I accept people, but I'm also going to love them enough to say that's sin in God's world, in God's eyes. So I can still love people. I won't cut off fellowship with them if they're struggling with an area of sin and they're lost. But I can't. I can't just say no. It's fine. That's not the love of God, because the love of God confronts us in our sin. That's what God did for me. I. The fact that he confronted me in my sin was so wonderful. It was hard, but he loved me enough to say, Dan, you're separated from me. You're separated from me. I'm a holy God, a righteous God, and you've sinned. And my word says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that means that you're separated from me. You are separated from me, Dan. And there's no hope. You can't bridge this gap by your own works. You can't be good enough to earn heaven, Dan. Because no matter what happens, Dan, you have still sinned, and there's a a price that needs to be paid for that sin. So no matter how many good works you have, Dan, you still got this pile of sin that needs to be paid for. So that was God's love confronting me with that. And then God's love is extended to me when he says, and I sent my son Jesus, Dan, for you. He lived the perfect, sinless life. He met the requirements that I have in order to spend eternity with me in heaven. You have to be perfect. Can any of us in this room say that? I can't. That's the minimum requirement for spending eternity in heaven. Perfect. Never sin in thought, word, or deed. And Jesus did that, the Bible says. He did that. And then he went to the cross and died for the sins of those who would receive that gift of salvation. And then, as I say, this great exchange happens. Christ died and paid the penalty for my sin, and the righteous life that Christ lived, God considers it as if I did live that. It's imputed to me. And so now I can spend eternity in heaven because through God's eyes, Christ's righteousness is mine. You see, God was kind in all of that including the difficult stuff in the front, confronting me with my sin. That was loving. That was kind. And we're to have that same kind of love as Christ had for us, as, as, the, as the Lord has for us. We need to have that kind of love. And it's a distinguishing love. That's what it says. So love, love is a picture of rejoicing in what is good and hating evil. That's Love. Now as we go on, we see that there's a Christian love. He's talking about, what is that? That's brotherly love is the term that's used here. There's Christian love, brotherly love, that needs to be sincere and real and tangible. Not merely this superficial love that we see so much in the world today, you know? We we, we use the word love so much. I love pizza. It's just the way we live, Right? But I think there's a confusion. What does love really look like? And we really don't know. And so many times it can be superficial, can it? You can have such superficial love for situations. And, 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 and the word of God here is saying, no, no, that's not the kind of love you're to have for each other. Not superficial love. Not a love that makes this mental assent that this is what I have to do. I have to love people, so I'm going to love them. It's not just talk. It's not just talk. You see, Christian love should manifest itself, should express itself in concrete, purposeful actions. And those actions should glorify God and minister to his people. That's love. Love isn't just talk. Love is concrete actions that have a purpose. That's what we see here. Take a look at God's word again. Romans 12, verses 10 and 11. Love, now this is a different kind of love in the Greek. It's Philadelphia. This is love for one another. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, that's where it comes from. So we look at this, we go, love, now this is a different word for love than in the, the verse 9. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent to be hot, boil, In spirit, serve the Lord. And then in Philippians 2, 3 through 8, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's a picture of brotherly love when we see it. To love others like Jesus loved us. He humbled himself, put others before himself. And we're to have that type of love, to reflect that type of love to others. This brotherly love of brotherly affection that it has here, The word means this. It's connected to family. It's about family uh, commitment. It's about family loyalty. It's about family affection. It's about tenderly loving each other. Now, I understand right now that some of you have come from families where that just wasn't there. You know, I, I have to be honest. That's true about myself, my family that I grew up in. I didn't feel loved. That's okay. I mean, God had a purpose behind all things. So it's hard then to understand what love really looks like. But it's this brotherly love that God intended to be in families. This love that allows for weaknesses. That allows for imperfections in each other. Loves in spite of those things. It deals with problems up front. It's an affirming love. That's the picture of the love of Christ towards us. And that's what he's saying. You need to have this brotherly love for each other as believers in Christ. It's this love that puts others first. This type of love that, will look, you know, when there's a weakness, when there's a failure, you're going you're to correct them if it needs to be, but you're not going to st- reject them, push them aside. Christian love is selfless. It's selfless. It's self-giving. That is so contrary to the world today, isn't it? When you think about it. It's, I'll love you if you do this for me. It's always the if. Christian love is so different. It's so foreign in this world. Because it's selfless. It's self-giving. It honors. It honors our brothers and sisters in Christ. What does that mean? It means that we value them. We respect them. In all their weakness, and all their frailty, they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we're going to honor them. We're going to honor them. We're going to give them preference over ourselves. Boy, does this go against culture, doesn't it? This is so countercultural. Serve others. Put others ahead of yourself. That's the way Jesus loved us. That's the way Jesus loved us. And this type of love that we're talking about here in God's word that is being described here in Romans chapter 12, it was absolutely unique in the entire ancient world. The idea that you would put someone ahead of yourself, that was unique back then. That was a picture of Christian love. Well, that's, that, that doesn't happen. So we look at it and we say, that's unique back then. Think about how things really haven't changed a whole lot in the world it's still kind of really you put others before yourself you're gonna live selflessly for others this is that's crazy and God's word says you know what that's love that's love loving your brothers and sisters in Christ that's a picture that God gives us in his word that's what he's calling us to his brothers and sisters in Christ in other words Christians are to be other centered Christians are to be other-centered. But the world today is very interesting because what they want to do is they want to say that this love is is to be others-directed, and it's not. Christian love is not others-directed. It is others-centered. What do you mean by others-directed? It means this. People say, if you truly love someone, this is how you're going to love them. You're going to call them by this. The whole movement today of, you know, we're gonna, if you don't wear these kind of jeans because of uh, who makes them, then we're going to reject you. And if you do wear these kind of jeans that we're boycotting, you see the pattern here? It's like, if you really love someone, then this is what you're going to do. And they're saying, well, you're supposed to love each other, right? You're Christians. That's what it says. So this is how you're supposed to love each other. You have to line up with what I believe, and you have to follow through the way I say you should do it, and then you prove that you really love someone. And that's not Christian love. Christian love is others-centered. It's focusing on their needs. It's loving them where they're at. It's not saying, okay, I'm going to make some kind of political stand by wearing this jean or that jean or saying this or saying that because this is the group of people telling me I have to do this in order to prove that I love them. They're trying to direct that love. Listen, Christian love is other centered, and we're going to be led by God's Spirit. We're going to be guided by God's precious, precious word, not by society. That's why Christian love is so countercultural in so many ways now. We love not out of command, not out of duty but rather we love with a passion in order to serve others from our love for Jesus it's a extension of Christ's love and again we're talking primarily about love within among the Christians brothers and sisters that is an extension of God's love it's just a reflection of God's love towards other believers that's part of God's grace as he extends it through his body to his people, that as we love someone in this way, as Christ loved us, that we're going to see God's gracious love towards us reflected in his very own people. That's where, where God gets the glory in all this because they see that God is working a miracle in that person's heart to be able to love like this. We do it because of love for Jesus. And I'll say this, that it can be, what, tiring loving people like this. You know, they keep doing the same thing, and you think, how many times do I have to tell them? And the answer is, well, always one more. Right? (laughs) Always one more. Honestly, I was talking to Lisa about this message, and I said, babe, you know, I look at this, and I go, we should know this stuff. I mean, I feel like this message is kind of telling you something you already know. And she said, but we always need to hear it more. And I and I said to her, I said, you know, it's funny because when you're preaching through a book of the Bible, most pastors like to skip over the hard stuff that you can't, you know, boy, oh, that's hard. I can't understand. I'm going to skip over that. And I'm thinking, this is, just, this is just so simple. Maybe we should just go to the next one. No, it's all God's word. If you're going to preach the hard stuff, you've got to preach the easier stuff, right? It's all God's word, and we all need to hear it all the time, so we preach it. And I love that. God's word knows what we need better than Dan. And I'm really good with that. You see, fatigue can be a part of it, but not apathy. Not apathy towards loving others. Not apathy. Well, am I clicking here? Okay, we'll keep going. Um, we are to serve Jesus fervently. That word fervent, by the way, to be hot, to boil. All you old school Christians, okay, remember when we used to say, man, that guy's on fire for Jesus. Remember that? I remember that. I mean, he's a, what do you think about so-and-so? Man, that guy's on fire for Jesus. That woman's on fire for Jesus. Well, in one sense, that's kind of what he's talking about. There's this fervency. There's this boiling over. There's a hot. This fervency for Christ. You love Jesus, and it overflows to his body so we're serving Christ by loving his body the way he loves us and so there's this fervency that is there that we should that should be a part of our loving and serving others and that fervency is necessary especially when people are in adversity in tribulation they need someone who loves the lord and Going to come alongside them, and there's a, a fire in their hearts for Jesus. And they're going to come alongside of them and love them with brotherly love. And that's why when we look at this section of Scripture, we see that brotherly love handles hardship. Okay, how are we going to love our brothers and sisters in Christ when they're going through hard times? Or even we're going through hard times, and God's calling us to love them. Brotherly love handles hardship. By focusing ourselves and that other person that we're trying to love on the hope of the sure promises of God for the future. That's how we handle it. That's how we show love. When they're going through hard times, when we're going through hard times, we point them to the hope of all the promises of God. And that is what encourages them, the glory that's to come. Take a look at God's Word again. We just continue to move on through this section. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. It's tough. Sometimes life is just tough. It's just, it's it's brutal. And sometimes you just got to remember. You got to put your hope in the future. This has been a brutal year for my wife and I. Wow, three deaths in the family. Unbelievable year. But our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in the promises that God is going to fulfill all his promises for us. And because all God's promises can't be seen today, faith is necessary. That's the point. He says, you know, you gotta trust. Do you believe? Do you believe all those promises I made to you, Dan, as you're going through tribulation or the friend that you're loving is going through tribulation and adversary, difficult, hard times. Do you believe in the promises that I made? That your salvation is secure in Christ? That I am making you more and more like Christ, that all things work for the good. Do you believe those promises to you, Dan? Then walk in them. You can walk through adversity. You can have uh, perseverance in that because we keep our eyes on the promises that God has made. And when we have a brother or sister who's struggling and we're trying to love them, then we got to keep reminding them sometimes of those promises. Be careful how you do because if somebody's going through a hard time and you walk up to them and you say, hey, don't worry. All things work for the good for those who believe. They don't need to hear that right now. That's not loving them. I'm just being honest. They, sometimes you've got to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And maybe down the road you need to bring that in. But that's why it's so important to be spirit-led in our loving, trusting God, saying, okay, God, I'm going to point my eyes towards the future, towards that hope that you have for us. I'm going to point my brothers and sisters eyes towards that hope and we need faith because those things are are unseen in this life and this hope that is based on God's promises enables us to persevere it says the term here is be patient in tribulation persevere in tribulation be patient relax relax I read the end of the book we win Hakuna Matata, right? Heaven awaits. Stop worrying, Dan. Heaven awaits. Hakuna Matata. So we look at that and we realize our hope is based on God's promises and that enables us to persevere. And something that is so out there in the minds of so many people in this world today, not only persevere, but we can persevere with joy. With joy, regardless of the circumstances. That is unbelievable what he's talking about here, that we could even rejoice in every circumstance, especially those that are difficult, especially those those times of tribulation. He says, look forward, Dan. Look forward to the hope that I have. I made promises to you as a believer, and I will never renege on those promises. And this hard time, that's just part of living in a fallen world. And I'm doing things through them. You can't see it, Dan. You might not understand it, but I'm doing things. And part of it is I'm making you more like Christ. You get to love when it's not easy because that's what Jesus did. He loved you, Dan, when it wasn't easy. And so you look at that and you say, you know what? That's a picture of God's incredible love that we could rejoice even in difficult times. And the reason we can is because nothing can change God's promises. No one can take that from us. Remember, the focus here is on loving our brothers and sisters. No one can steal the promises that God has made for you. Nobody can say, oh, we're going to avoid those. No matter what circumstance you're in, no matter what is happening, God's promises are sure because they're not based on your performance. They're based on God's grace and God's mercy. And that's why no matter what happens, we can have joy because those things will always be true no matter what happens and nobody can take that from us. And that gives us hope to press on and even press on in a way that is joyful which seems so contrary to what we would normally think could even possibly happen. And the way that we can be patient, the way we can persevere in affliction with joyful hope The way that happens is, first of all, God's grace. You know, I I use this a lot because it impacted my life. When my sister's daughter was murdered and we were talking to them, I looked at her and I thought, how can you handle it? How are you handling it? Well, God's grace. She didn't just gut that up. It had to be God doing a work in her heart. Putting her hope in Jesus for the promises that he made not only for her, but for her daughter. So the way that we persevere in affliction is first of all by God's grace and second of all by being faithful in prayer. That's what it's saying here, that we need to be faithful in prayer. We keep going to God and saying, God, strengthen me in this time of weakness. God, help me to love when I don't want to love, when it's struggled, when it's hard to love. And I'll tell you this, love is the motivating force behind all true intercession. It is. Love is the motivating force in all true intercession. We love someone, we're going to pray for them. If we love someone that's lost, we're going to pray that they get saved. Here's a prayer that I pray. God, whatever is satisfying them now that is not you, cause it to stop satisfying them. Well, that's not love, Dan. No, it is love. Take every source that you're trying to find their joy in and their satisfaction just strip it away, God, so they start looking for you, looking for what's real, real love. And so we pray for those we love. God, do a miracle. When we know somebody that's struggling with something that's close to us, we pray. And isn't it interesting how intercession increases the more intense the situation is? Ever think about that? If you really love someone and they're in a difficult time, what happens is you intercede for them. But you think about that situation throughout the day, right? You think about them, it just every now and then. And so our natural response should be, well, let's pray. I'm going to pray again for them. And so the more intense the situation is for the one we love, it's amazing how God uses that to bring us to prayer to him over and over throughout that day. Why? Because the foundation of true intercession is love. And that's what happens. We bring those things before the Lord. We understand that there's, God, if you don't do a work here, there's nothing I can do in my own strength. So, God, do this work. So, sincere brotherly love inspires deliberate, diligent self sacrifice. That means to love our brothers and sisters. To love our brothers and sisters, it will demand our time, it will demand our finances, and it will demand our personal involvement. Take a look at God's word again. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. He's continuing on with what brotherly love looks like. James 2:15 through 17, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, it if, if it does not have works, is dead. And in Galatians 6, 9 through 10, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap, if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Next week, we're going to talk about people that persecute you, your enemies. Well, that verse applies to them, too. It's a hard thing, isn't it, sometimes to love? The word here, contribute, contribute to the needs. The, the Greek verb form of that, if you look at it, is translated fellowship, koinonia. It's about it's about sharing amongst ourselves, not just our stuff, but our hearts and our lives. That's what we hope to do in our small groups, to share our lives with each other. And we want to fulfill that. We're going to contribute to each other. We're going to share our lives. We're going to get involved in things that can be messy sometimes, and we want to look the other way and not get involved, because it's easier to do that, isn't it? So we're to Contribute to our brothers and sisters. And then it has this word hospitality, seek to show hospitality. That was talking primarily about Christians that were travelers, that were strangers to that family. And what happened was the the, uh, inns back then were very expensive and also very dangerous. So it's talking about showing hospitality, inviting these believers that are traveling into your home, okay, as an extension of Christ's love towards them. So he's talking really about loving even Christians you don't know. Supporting missionaries is one way that I think of that. I don't know who they're all ministering to, but you know, when we have missionaries here in town, serve them in any way you can. Love them. It talks here about especially those you don't know. Foreigners. People that are different from you. This is this is saying fight prejudice, Dan. Fight prejudice. Show hospitality to people that aren't like you, that you're foreign to you. And in order to do that, you can't have these prejudices built up in your heart. You can't do that. How are you going to love through that? And so God is, is hitting us in the areas that we like to protect, isn't it? He hits us in the wallet. Contribute. Whoa, God. See, I knew it. I knew it. I came to this church. It's the first time here. They're already asking for money. No, we're not. We're fine. Don't give. Please, don't give. Don't give. We're we're okay. Don't give. So God hits us in our wallet because he knows that's precious to us. And then he takes it another step, which is the harder one of the two for me. He hits us in our home because we want to hide there. That's our sanctuary. You can have my wallet. You can have some cash, God, but not my privacy, not my home. God says, no, if you're, if you're a Christian, that's what brotherly love looks like. Now, I want to say something here. That doesn't mean we're naive and foolish, okay? You've got to use discernment in who you open your house to and who you give finances to or help to. You have to have discernment. Here, it's specifically focusing on brothers and sisters in Christ, not everyone and, and anybody So the focus here is about brothers and sisters in Christ, and we do need discernment. You know, sometimes I'll tell you what, and I learned this when I was running Crossfire, the worst thing you can do is give somebody financial help when they want it. That's one of the worst things you can do. You say, well, I love them. They came and they don't have anything to eat, and so I should give them money to buy food. Okay, so you want to do that, and then you realize, I'm giving them money and they're going to buy liquor with it to get drunk. So that's not a good move. Maybe I could take them out to eat. That might work. We had situations in this church in the past where we had people who were too lazy to work. And then what would happen is every winter would come and they'd say, well, we need some money to put oil in the whatever. And you'd say, you need, you know, we'd, here, I'll tell you what we did. We helped them one time. Then they came back the next year. We said, okay, here's the deal. We are gonna give you 50% of it because you need to go get a job. Because the Bible says if a man does not work, he will not eat. So you need to stop being lazy. So we told them so we want you to know we're not going to give you any more after this year. You're going to get 50% and that's it. You say, boy, that was cruel. No, that was loving. That was loving that person enough to say, God's word says this and you are not fulfilling it so you need to go get a job. And it did. It forced them to get a job. You see how loving that was? It seems contrary, but it's not. So when we look at these things, we have to realize, listen, God is doing a work and we need to love each other through contributing to the needs of others not just financially but our time and then also hospitality but we need to be wise we need to pray God is this what you would want to do? So let's trust that God will lead us in how we can serve. You know the world it's love is a taking love when you think about it. What can you do for me? What can you give me? I will continue to be with you as long as I benefit from it. It's a taking love, whereas this Christian brotherly love is a giving love. It's so contrary. It's a giving, giving of ourselves, giving of our resources, giving of our priorities to someone else. And that's hard to do. But you see, when we live like that, because it's so odd to the world. Do you realize what a witness that is to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Look how they love each other. It, it happened back then when the epistles were written. So look how these people love each other. They care for each other. If we can, by God's grace, have this kind of love, it will be a testimony to a lost world. Look how they love each other. Who gets the glory for that? God hey, I can't love them. I really don't like them, and normally I wouldn't want to even be in the same room with them, but God's doing a work in my heart, so I can love them. Thank you, Jesus. It's a work of God, especially in today's world that can be so taking when it comes to love instead of giving. It's it's a witness to a self-indulgent, self-centered world is what it is, that kind of love. Take a look at God's word, John 13. A new command I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Look at why. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. It's a testimony to a lost world to love people that way. Genuine brotherly love is a response to and a reflection of God's love. That's what it is. And by God's grace and the Holy Spirit enablement, we can love others like Jesus loved us. It's possible because of who God is, not who we are. And he can do that work in us. So let me ask you a question. How do you serve others selflessly? Do you serve others selflessly? As you look through this list, I see so many times where I fall so far short but I have a great God and he can change my heart and he can change your heart. So let's ask him to do that. Let's ask him to maybe make us uncomfortable when we love each other. Let's ask him to cultivate this kind of love in each of our hearts because God loves to answer those kind of prayers, amen? Let's pray. Lord, I look at this, just these few short verses, Lord, And it's so impossible in our own strength. Yet you call us to these things. And Lord, that which you call us to, you enable us to do. So I ask you, God, to work in my heart, to work in our hearts, Lord, to love people this way. God, I pray that you would do it in such a manner that the world would see and stand in awe of you. So God, work this kind of love in us in this body each other, Lord, and for you. And do this so that your name would be glorified and your people would be built up. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.
1: My righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I Oh, Strange and divine, I can sing, all is mine, yet not I. He will stay I labor on In weakness and rejoicing For in my need His power is displayed To this I hold My shepherd will defend me Through the deepest valley has been one and I shall overcome yet not I but through Christ in me no fate I dread I know I am forgiven the future sure the price it has been paid for jesus bled and suffered for my pardon and he was raised to overthrow the grave to this i hold my sin has been defeated such now and ever.